Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Melon. Yeah, I know, look, you missed me last week. It was a desperate, desperate attempt by the other two stooges to cover up for massive deficiencies, but your favorite one's back again. You can all re- you can all relax. You can just let that rest and sit in. How are you there, Raph? You're wearing a beanie, which says to me you're probably not in Hawaii. Uh, no, I'm currently not, but I am going to Hawaii. I'm going there in a, a day, actually going to Lahui. Um, no, I'm up in uh, Juneau, Alaska, but it's pretty frosty. Beautiful. We were just talking offline about the approach, uh, getting here and then getting into a place called Ketchikan. It's just, it's fun, man. Like it really is. And I, like I said, it's crazy when you do stuff like this, you're like, and I'm getting paid for it. You know, it's just <laughs> as a pilot, it's just, it's, it's, it's a good gig. I'm not mad at it. You know, that little uh, the postcard of like, what do you want to be when you grow up, son? I want to be a pilot. And the mother's like, you can't do both. You can't grow up and be a pilot. <laughs> Real little boys on the inside. Yeah, nice. Hey, Mike, how are you going, pal? What's been uh, going on in your neck of the woods? I've been doing my job and getting paid for it just like Raph. Well, I'm, I'm no pilot. <clears throat> I'm not that good looking. I'm not as, uh, you know, I'm not up there on the charts with uh, what you guys think you are. But... I love my job and I'm still pretty amazed that like, man, I, I take a step back and like, I get paid for this. So yeah, I, I had a really good week, man. Just, uh, kicking off a lot of, uh, a lot of training for the next really few months. Like it, it's, it's go time. So, but it all kicked off really well and, uh, had a good week and and now I'm back here for a short period and then I got to leave again. Uh, tomorrow actually so i'm literally going to be bouncing back and forth back and forth back and forth uh for the next few months so not much personal time ahead but it's not going to last forever and i'm going to just try to try to enjoy all of it man because you know like we've talked about this job isn't going to last forever these experiences aren't going to last forever so i'm really just trying to take it one one bit at a time one step at a time and really absorb everything that happens and just no, I, I just I just really want to enjoy it in this past week I really did it's awesome man I mean Raph and I talk about uh, flying which we love but I know when we talk to you you know and you you fill me in with my gorilla brain I can't really understand all the detail of what you do but it's it's super cool as well and I know that's a very meaningful um, job a very fulfilling role and you know, I can't help but always think about my own children and the safety that that they live in from the hard work of men and women like you, mate. And so I really appreciate what you do. I know we banter a lot, but suffice to say, I know what you do is dangerous and, and uh, a lot of respect. Well, no, no, I'm shit out of luck because now I don't know what to say. I can't say anything bad about you. At the uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. You're like, Melon, it's confirmed he really does hate me. He said something good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you guys got together last week. I wasn't able to make the hookup where I was up at the, the new base. Uh, just the timings didn't work. But uh, from all accounts, that was a pretty solid episode. And... You guys were sort of talking about perhaps this week we're going to re- return to a previous series that we ran, 
where we did a, a three-part series on a, on a pretty amazing book called Tender Warrior. And uh, Mike, maybe you'd like to sort of fill in with what you were thinking the topic would be this week. Yeah, of course. So Tender Warrior was a book that was, I mean, just for me, it was passed to me by Wrath. And from Wrath, it was given to him from our other friend, Jimmy Boggs. And I'm sure so-and-so has just been passed around. That was That was about three years ago. Uh, since then I have personally bought this book for at least probably six, seven other men, uh, that I know, or who have reached out to me just because they were all asking the same questions that I had. And this book just really, really helps men in general. There's, there's things in here about women as well, but really helps men identify who you really are inside. I know we did a episode on like, who are you really like your spiritual side? And like, you know, that this talks about a man's purpose in life, his roles, responsibilities, what we were built and intended for. And there is some biblical uh, stories and different things wrapped into it to help you understand. But uh, Stu Weber is the author and just a little quick background on him. He was a uh, Green Beret in Vietnam. I believe he did two tours in Vietnam and seen a lot of really terrible things. He stayed in for a long time. I, I want to say he got out as a, a senior officer, became a pastor up in Oregon uh, for a while, and then recently uh, retired. And I think we actually reached out to him to see if we could have him on the show. And respectfully he declined he's like hey i'm retired now and i'm just you know i'm with my family after years of service and i i absolutely respect that uh, but anyway this book every man's purpose every woman's dream every child's hope uh, these chapters really help you dig into yourself most of all answer a lot of those those really hard tough questions that people always ask why is this happening to me who am i who am i supposed to be in these moments uh, why is life so hard? You know, just go down the list. And it's like, for me personally, besides the Bible, uh, which is intimidating to a lot of people, people don't know how to read it or what to read or anything. And they just kind of feel like, well, I don't want anything part of it because I'm a worthless POS and I, I've messed up so many things. Yeah, you, know, you, you just get that anxiety if you don't fully know how to approach it. Uh, this book is not like that. This is this spoke to me, uh, him being uh, a soldier. I know it spoke to Raf, you know, and all of us served. So some of the stuff he talks about really gets our attention because we can relate through military service. But overall, this is just stuff about life, about men, why we we were created, and ultimately our purpose and what we're doing here on on Earth. You know, we, we can just float and try to figure it out, or you can have some solid uh, pillars here. In this chapter, you know, we did the first three, uh, man, a while ago with Tony Sr. was our guest, talking about the four pillars of manhood and different things like that are just invaluable. I still use it to this day. But this one, this one's a little different. And Do you want to just quickly just say those four pillars, just in case people didn't pick up that one? Just a quick just a quick cover up. Sure. Yeah. So the four pillars of manhood as defined in here, uh, number one in the, in the book, it says King, but it means leader. 
So you're supposed to be a leader in your life. You lead your life. If you have a family, you be the leader in, in your family or be the leader in a relationship. Like that's what a man should be. Uh, the next one is mentor. So you've been around for a bit. You learned some things, uh, what to do, what not to do. You should be mentoring those around around you in your circle if you ultimately want to get better because you may not have the answers for everything. Uh, but if you're investing in other people and building them up, uh, they're going to become part of your circle and ultimately the community is going to grow. So if you do learn success, if you learn failures, uh, make sure you're passing them on to the people that mean most to you uh, or at work or your family, kids, whatever. The next one is being uh, a a warrior. Okay. And I know when people hear warrior, it's like, well, I'm not in the military. It does not mean that a warrior is being brave and courageous to do the things that scare the shit out of you that, you know, you have to get done uh, even when the world's against you, but you know, Hey, this is the right thing to do in order for this to happen. Right. Maybe, Hey, it may, maybe I have to work uh, extra hours so my kids can get a good education and there's no way around it. I just have to do this. It's going to suck. I'm not going to get a lot of sleep. I'm going to be miserable because I hate my boss, but Hey, I have to do this in, in order for my kids to have a successful future. That's being a warrior, right? Everyday, everyday style warrior. And then the last one is being a friend and what that really means. Uh, being there for good times and bad times, offering advice, humility, uh, counsel, uh, mm. ce celebrate the good times, be there and hold each other in the hard times. Uh, you know, it, it really uh, it, it really makes you think about when you call someone your friend, are they really a friend or are they an acquaintance? And, you know, you sit back and you and you look and really see what people do in your life when times are good and times are bad, you can really define who my real friends are and then who's just along for the ride, you know, and it, that's been a wide, a wide eyed open experience for myself over the last couple of years. It's like, wow. So anyway, just, that's just a really quick recap. Those are four pillars that I never really identified with when I was growing up in my in my 20s, I joined the military at 19 years old after I lost my father at 18. Didn't have a father figure. I had no idea who I was supposed to be. And I know Mellon struggled probably too when he was with him and his brothers and sisters and stuff after his father passed away at, I believe, 11. And uh, you, you kind of grow up and you're like, who the hell am I supposed to be? You know, like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? And when you can't make a phone call and go, hey, dad, what do I do? you just, well, I guess I'm the man now and I just suck it up and figure it out. Right. And God, did I fail at that? <laughs> I failed at it so many times, but I didn't have the structure. I didn't have words like these and pretty much kind of like a, I call it the playbook, right? It's, it's kind of a really good playbook that I could reference and know who to be in what moments. And it's, it's really just changed my life. I know it's changed for me more the three of us talk about it changes changes our life how, how we communicate everything go ahead mel the the thing the thing there with these four pillars has been very powerful is being able to recognize in every situation which one of those four the situation is calling for 
which part of your personality, which, which part of you is going to be best here and it's going to change. And so there are times when you're going to be the leader or the mentor, and then there'll be times when you just need to be the friend. Sometimes the warrior, that's as as Mike was saying, you know, that, that might just be getting on doing the thing that needs to be done. That could be you mowing the lawn or doing the shopping or whatever it is. So it's it's a really good framework to be able to think in when things are tough. Who who am I being called to be right now out of those four? That that has been very effective for me. Yeah. Uh so with that little uh, quick wrap up of the last three, this next one that we decided to do, you know, after you identify who you're supposed to be and all these different things, and then you're in it, uh, this chapter is chapter four, and the title of it is called Staying Power. And if you think about that, it's pretty, it should hit you, Staying Power. I read this this morning when, when I got up and was having some coffee. And I've read I've read this whole book before, but I, re- I reread it, and I was like, man. I, and I was telling Raph and Melon right, you know, right before we hit hit the button, I, I read it, and I was kind of like, man, I kind of feel like shit in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Because how many times in my life where it's just like I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't stay. I didn't have good staying power. But the more we just discussed it just in the last, I don't know, 30 minutes before we hit record, you know, having these discussions with Mel and Raph, they're just like, dude, like same with us. Like I didn't meet the mark or, you know, I didn't have staying power because of this or that, or I was distracted or my focus wasn't here. He's like, we've all done that. And he's like, and and the first thing I thought about, was like, man, I I need to give myself a break, like give myself some grace here. Like I can't, (laughs) we talked about an episode before the one before that it was like, don't let that, define the rest of your life you know so just in this last like 30 minutes i'm sitting here trying to process this this shit feeling and it's like oh man kind of feel down but then at the same time it's like well at least i'm talking about it and these guys are opening up sharing the same stuff like you know dude you're not the only guy (laughs) so anyways yeah staying power let's uh you know let's kind of jump into this chapter and there's a lot of great points that Stu has and uh, definitely uh, take some notes if you can. It's definitely note- noteworthy stuff. So I was, I was having um, a read here and I was really struck in the opening how what he is defining staying power as and the way that I've, I've read it is <clears throat> that a commitment has been made in a given situation and Stu Weber here is talking about the ability of the person to deliver on that commitment. And it could be a very long-term commitment, like in a marriage, where the phrase to death do us part has been said. It could be a, a work commitment. It could be a, a a daily, you know, I'm going to take care of these things by the end of the day type of commitment. They're not all going to be formal. Some, even, some won't be written. Some will be verbal. Some will be implied. And I was really reading it in the in the context here. He had he had he has some stats in the opening there talking about the number of people in prison who grew up without a father talking about that being in the in the region of 70%. And so the really sort of confronting one was the men who, who don't stick around for their family and not able to deliver on what I think is the ultimate commitment there in the family of being there as a father. And so 
you know, these children that grow up without a father, it's not like, you know, you've been thrown to the walls where you're definitely going going down the the worst path, but you're stacking the odds. And this is a really fundamental, fundamental, fundamental part of the chaos that we're referring to in our title, Pushing Back Chaos. So I was really just in that, you know, that children of divorce and uh, broken families. It is a lifelong impact. And there's a lot of data to read up on that. That's not, it's not Mellon's opinion. That's stuff that you, you can look up differences, outcomes for children uh, in divorce. And typically it's when there's a lot of bad feeling and, you know, like a bad divorce. And, and when people remain committed to the kids and co-parenting, I don't think that's what we're referring to here. But these ultimate commitments that people are giving their word to and not been able to deliver on really contribute in a in a very profound and direct way to disrupting and breaking down individuals and families and communities and society. So that's sort of where Stu Weber starts, which is a pretty heavy opening. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, you kind of nailed something that I was just thinking about uh, when I was reading this, rereading this chapter. Actually, I listened, to be completely honest, I listened to the audio, the audio book, which was kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. Right after I was done with my trip flying out here, plugged in the, the, uh, the headphones and listened to a couple chapters, actually. Um, and, and one thing that really struck me was, um, and you kind of talked about the impact, the lifelong impact that a missing father uh, in a home has on the generations to come and not just the kids, but the, the kids of the kids, you know, if mm -hmm. that child ends up having children, you know, grandchildren and children, that sort of thing. Um, and you're right. This isn't our, our opinion. This is, I mean, there's so many statistics right now. I know that the, a really popular word that like that people like to throw out there is equity. And, you know, when people, when people refer to equity, we're mostly re referring to resources like money and sort of like a privileged position, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, um, I don't think there's any more astounding element of equity than having a father in the home. Like, honest to God, like if you want equity for your children, keep that marriage together. That that alone will, will have more of an impact um, than resources and money and the right neighborhood and the right zip code and all the other bullshit having that father in the homes and and listen i'm a living testament of that i grew up in a in a crime-ridden neighborhood it's a street called the Larrick streets it's it's been renamed but i i've told this i've counted this story many a time so i'll keep it to 30 seconds there was literally a police responding on that street every night there was always ambulances there was always fire trucks there was drug dealers everywhere there was hookers on the street. I mean, it was literally like the, the Valley of the beast. It was, it was the devil's den. And, you know, not everybody had their parents together. Um, I had plenty of friends growing up who, who were single parents, you know, single, single mothers, shout out to single mothers who were literally trying to do everything they can. But I've noticed looking back after 45 years, that the thing that gave me the the best chance of not just surviving, but thriving was having my father in the home. I mean, that's just, we were, we were dirt poor. I mean, you know, but it was a fact that I had a father who was involved to whatever degree that he could, that saved me from falling into 
you know, using drugs or joining a gang. And tr- dude, I, I said, talked about this. I was friends with most of the people that, you know, most of the little kids that I grew up with all went into gangs. I mean, they they would ask me on a weekly basis, not a daily basis, like, hey, you know, join our gang. And it just, to me at the time, it just seemed like hanging out with friends. But the, but the fact that my dad made it very clear that I wasn't going to go down that road, you know, and a healthy fear that I had towards my father because he was a disciplinarian. I mean, that's literally what saved my ass from from going into the wrong side. But it was like razor thin. I mean, the, the margin of error was fucking like damn near mm. non-existent. So I think that that's something that um, I think this book really articulates is that the effects and the after effects for generations to come are significant. And it's and that's and you talk about the men in prison and it's just as bad for women. A woman that grows up without a father, you know, real father present in her life, you know, this is like the headspring of her life. Like this is the one man that, that of all things should be keeping his word and should really kind of show her the standard of what a man should be. Right. And if that's missing, unfortunately, most of the, you know, most women will go and kind of find what a man is in the wrong place. And, you know, they end up in abusive relationships or they, or they get used or, you know, they're, they're with men who just aren't men they're, they're flaky they're not they don't keep their word they're you know they might be married to like or they might be with they have, might have children with like three other women and it's just it's it's a mess but you know in her uh the way her mind has been shaped and focused it's like well i guess that's normal right for a man not to keep his word and you know i like that Stu makes no qualms about it that a man who doesn't keep his word is simply not a man like you are if you don't keep your word you are not a man End of story. I, you can, you can fucking make all the excuses in the world, but at the end of the day, you keep your word to your friends, to your family, to your neighborhood, to the to to your dreams. Like if, if whatever it is that you want to do in life, if you start making excuses, you basically are giving in your fucking man card. And I, I mean, when you read that, you're like, wow, like he he does not mince words. Mm. And he's highlighting he's highlighting this. He opens with this, which is. You know, it's talking here effectively about being a word, about having integrity that you yeah. you think about things and you reserve and then you commit knowing with intention that there's going to be hardship and then you deliver. And that that cycle of integrity is what this book is, this chapter of the book is about, this staying power. And he opens with the most egregious breakdown in that, which is a father not being there for his children. So... It's a very confronting way to open, and the the impacts from that are tremendous. And you know, men have got to look at themselves here. He he doesn't need to open with mums who take off because that's not what the statistics are. Mothers tend to stay. It's if one person's shot through, we all know that it's going to be the father. When I was in the neonatal unit when Annie was born, my daughter, there was. Uh, you know, it's a hard time. It's a trying time. A lot of babies that are born prematurely are, there's health issues and complications and tend to be, you know, lower socioeconomic families that suffer more. And there was a quite a large number of guys who were not there, the fathers. It was just too much. And and they, they didn't come. And un- unfortunately, that was a significant number. And those babies would then get special handling from anyway. But it was like one baby the whole time we were there where the mother took off. So it does happen. We're not saying it doesn't happen. But typically mothers stick to their commitments and their word and they deliver in this area. And it's men who are deficient in this area, in this um, 
the thing that I prize the highest, and I know Raf does too, and certainly I know is a massive priority for Mike, in the commit, commitment you've made when you've chosen and you, you've had kids, and to not deliver in this area is the biggest breakdown that Stu can see, Stu Weber. So he opens the chapter talking about this. But it goes across all other areas. The old saying, a man's word is his bond, is a quote in there right in the middle of the chapter. And you're like, that seems like such an old-fashioned term now, you know, like an old cowboy movie or a, a King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table type story. But that still holds true. Like no one wants to work with a, a, a person or have a friendship with a person where they're, they're flippant and they're not delivering on their word. And it's like, you know, they all saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like someone who breaks their word to you repeatedly should not be inside your circle of relationships. Like they should be omitted from a place at the table, be it professionally, family, intimate relationships, etc. So the key part in this is your word as your bond, I think is where the whole crux of the chapter rests. If, if I could, if I could just add to that, I think a big, um, I think what we have against our current culture right now is that for decades now, our, our society's kind of designed itself around comfort. And so you've got entire generations that seek comfort. They seek it in food. They seek it in activities. They seek, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's, um, you just see it all around and we're yeah. all victims of it. It's easy to fall into that you know, instant gratification, that whole thing. It's all kind of wrapped into that kind of that nebulous. But, um, you know, I think that's the reason, like it's easy to sit there and say, you know, staying power, always commit, always do the thing. But the challenge is accepting that that uncomfortableness. I'll give a personal example. Uh, my wife and I, the last couple of days, we've just been having a hell of a time. Like for, and I couldn't figure out why. Like I literally could not figure out why. We didn't say anything terrible to each other, but just, I just feel this tension. And it was the day that I was leaving for this, for this trip. And we had to meet with our CPA, our accountant. So we did that. And, you know, after we were done, we stepped out and I could have just as easily just kind of, you know, just said, well, I'll just, I'll just leave and things will cool off when I get back. We'll, we'll be lovey-dovey again or whatever. But I thought, you know what? I, I can't, like, I can't let that. I didn't want to start a fight, but I also was like, I need to do something like I need to, I can't just let this fester. Right. Like, cause being a man is, is part of being a leader. And so I just, and I, as gently as I could, I was like, Hey, you know, I could feel there's some tension between us. And I was like, and I've been, you know, for the life of me, I can't figure out what, what I've said to you. Or maybe what, I was like, cause you haven't said anything to offend me, but I, I feel this tension. She's like, yeah, so did I. And, you know, that conversation quickly turned into like, I, I don't know what that was about. And, you know, of course we embraced and we hugged and, talked about our marriage and talked about like things that, you know, how, like basically what we're, where we had fallen in the last couple of weeks, just, we were so busy and we had made some, an adonomy. And I was like, fuck, she's so right. She had actually made an effort to kind of do a little date night. And I would make an excuse like, Oh, I, I can't because of ABC or, or whatever it was. And she, she made that attempt twice. And both times I kind of struck it down and it made her feel like, well, if he's not going to try, then, you know, I'll just, just I won't make an effort, right? Um, and so the times that I was like, why, why is she making an effort to like, you know, have intimacy or like, you know, be whatever? Like, yeah, I, I tell that we were just like at different ends of the house. It dawned on me that she had made that effort. I just dismissed them because I prioritized whatever else was 
yeah. you know, what I thought was important, which is, you know, usually job related. So I'm saying that as like a, as a cautionary tale, I'm not saying that because, you know, I think it's the, I mean, literally, I just, looking back, I was like, I'm such an idiot. You know, I, I helped create the environment. Luckily I was smart enough to be like, all right, mm. fucking enough is enough. You know, like this, I'm not going to leave with this void or this, this, this weird, this weirdness. Um, yeah, it's just, it's uncomfortable. The point I'm trying to make though, is that you have to be, you have to force yourself to be uncomfortable. Like it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. It's going to be fucking weird to talk about some of these things, even though you do it once a month and you feel like you're beating a dead horse, but I'm telling you, it is, it's, it's not just necessary. Like you, you, it's crazy important, you know? And I, and I'm not, trying to get all religious and stuff but I, I genuinely do think that there is some play by the devil in this i think the devil does get off watching our society destroy itself you know marriages and listen we're better to start than, than the fucking nucleus of the family which is the marriage right or or between a man and a woman and the, and we can go down that rabbit hole but the point is i really genuinely do think there is some evil at play i really really do like i used to not think that but now i'm like no i i think there is i think society's being attacked I had, I, you know, didn't have exactly the same, but the same. Like just there was tension and I was like, I could feel it in my nervous system. So it was just like something was a bit off and and it was the same thing. It was like, oh, I think I think I need to have like, an, like a conversation. And <laughs> thank God, like we've done this enough. We both were just able to just sit with it and not have the reaction occur. Like to be, you know, knowing that the other person was going to sit there until the end of the conversation and neither of us were going to react from, you know, you got that slightly wounded, you know, hurt sort of feeling happening. Something's a bit off. And previously, you know, I would have kicked off. I would have been, would have been more like, you know, there's some problem over there because I'm feeling like this. Whereas this time it was like something has gone out of balance here and let's just really talk about it in a really calm way. And like... 45 minutes later, you know, you could just feel just the comfort and the kindness and the love and the warmth. And I was like, man, how good to, to have a breakthrough without having to have a breakdown first. To be like, what was happening there? To talk about it. Oh, yeah, I thought this thing and, you know, and then I was thinking that and you were just, you're doing this and no one's saying anything. And you've got to step in early and get that sort of convergence again, right? So really similar to what you what you guys have had. And good for you for doing it before you flew out. Yeah, yeah. But again, I had to like talk myself through it. Like it really had to do because I, I didn't because I knew there was a potential of like it blowing up on me. And then then I'm yeah. leaving really upset, right? Like so yeah. But but I, I want to underscore, man, like just it is important for everybody, not just men, to be uncomfortable. Cause I think, and I say this all the time to my wife when I'm come home and and I see like and I, I'm not fat shaming, but I, but I see some morbidly obese people that could barely take a couple steps in the airport. I mean, just it's painful to watch. And I just think to myself, comfort is fucking killing us. It is literally yeah. killing us. And yeah. it's a real. It's it's an emergency, man. I, it is to me because I, I, I watch people of all walks of life all across the country. And they're just I mean, people could barely walk. I mean, that's the most basic function of human anatomy. You know, yeah. and people are struggling to walk. And it's I mean, Nick Grossi, Nick Grossi talks about his former guests, you know, that whole pleasure seeking behavior and eliminating it from your 
from your life, like whatever it is that you seek as pleasure, that that is probably going to have inside it a core that's going to be a vice. And so then the opposite of that is being able to step in and embrace the discomfort, which Ralph is talking yes. about. So I, I really like that Raph said, I truly believe that the devil is at work and he enjoys watching. And it's a hundred percent. The, uh, the story that popped in my head is uh, a couple of years ago when I was, you know, I was going through asking all these questions, Jimmy Boggs, our, our, our buddy that passed this book, tender warrior to Raph. And then Raph passed it to me, uh, sat there and listened to me for hours. And we actually had one of the most heated arguments of our relationship. And I, I've known, I've known Jimmy's as long as I've known Raph where I was literally swearing at him at the top of my lungs over the phone, pissed off because I knew better. And I was so sure that no, 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 that's not how it goes, man. And this, this is how it's supposed to be. And he was crying. We were both angry and crying, but the dude loves me in a, in a way that I never knew before. And he just, he, he knew I was hurting so, so bad. And he just, he asked me the first time, it was the first time I ever read this story, but it was the, the story of Job in, in the Bible. And it, he just, he just said, Hey, he's like, Mike, do, do you know the story of Job? And I was like, no, I don't. And I don't really care. Like, oh, honestly, just because I was so angry and, and, and I, I didn't, you know, I was just angry, <laughs> put it, put it blatantly. So I said no. And of course, that night I didn't read it and I was just whatever, you know, and, and it took a couple of days until I was all right. Well, if he, you know, he cares about me that much, he wanted to tell me this, like there has to be a reason why he brought that up. All right, fine. So I get on Google and I sit there and start reading and man, it was like, I, I, I have nothing to complain about in, in, a, in a lot of ways after I read the story of Job. And for the people that don't know, and, and we're not sitting here preaching the Bible and all that stuff like that, but they're, they're, this is an amazing, amazing story. Uh, so basically, you know, he was this guy, he, he had wealth, he had a, he had a beautiful home, he had children, wife, uh, you, you, to today's standards, you could say he was like, you know, he lived the, the Forbes 500 life. Like he had everything that society would ever want, you know, money riches wonderful family just everything status he was an instagram model pretty much right he just had everything and his life was perfect well the but devil he was also a good man he was he, also a good man he, he was a good man yes he was and uh the devil challenged god and he said he goes you think your you think your followers are so faithful he's like i will prove and show to you that even your strongest ones will fold and god said Okay. He goes, <laughs> it was kind of a, like an agreement, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so over the course of Job's life, the devil literally ripped everything away from Job. His, his, uh, his, his money, his house, he killed his, uh, his wife, his children, uh, everything. Job basically lost everything over the course of his life you could just say that his whole life was a massive struggle of disappointment death uh, many other words come to mind but he never lost the faith 
he never lost faith in God. And the devil was amazed that Job stayed true no matter what he did to him, that this guy would just keep his faith to God and believe that everything that was happening was part of the plan and that he would be redeemed and, uh, you know, he, he would still hold a place for him in heaven. And he never broke like he, his entire life. And I, I hear that story. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I couldn't imagine losing all of that and everything else. Like I've lost, but I've never lost like that, man. I need to, I need to take a wrap off. I need to start looking at things and, and really start aligning with what I'm putting so much weight into. Be like, what am I really focusing on here? What, what's most important in my life? And, and, and really these discussions started changing a lot in myself these feelings start churning up a bit and it was like who do i want to be and uh some of the lessons and he writes them in there is uh you know a, a man whose masculinity uh that rests in what he owns the size of his home and money and uh what he can perform in his achievements the people he knows, what model, it's funny, what model of donkey he rode uh, or his status in society. If a man rests his identity in any of those things, he will ultimately fail mm. be because every single one of those will, will disappear at one point or be taken from you. Uh, the only thing that would hold him together was knowing that who he was inside and what his values and what his actions and his heart believed, because there's only two people that know that him and God, nobody else will ever fully know that because we've all had those moments where we do something and we go, Oh my God, I'm never telling anybody, anybody that I did this or that I was thinking this or that I felt this. And then you just lock it away. And then someone comes up to you and you're like, Oh my God, you're the greatest person ever. And you look at him, you're like, you know, if you only knew, but I'm not telling you that, but we have imposter to, syndrome. Yeah. Imposter. Right. Or, or you're embarrassed or, you know, something, but you, you never, there are some things that every single person will never tell anybody else because they're so ashamed of it. They, they were, they were weak in the moment or something. And nobody ever wants to do that. We want to be happy. We want to celebrate. We want to have good times. Nobody wants to face the hard times or admit that they didn't meet the mark or they fell short or they were too, they weren't strong enough. They didn't have enough money. They didn't, you know, whatever. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable feeling, but you and God, you, you know, the truth. So, uh, what that leads to is you start aligning with who you are and what you're doing in your life, you know, and the purpose, those four pillars, right? Th those are massive parts of this going into the future. And, uh, the common theme, and we kind of talked about this, is uh, men run away in our culture. When things are too comfortable, when there's like different things going on, it's just like, oh, this is hard. I'm going to run away. Like, I don't know how to handle this and all the weight's on me. I'm, I'm leaving and, and you just run away. Usually because it's one of those things that I mentioned, the achievements, the perform, whatever, but you're ultimately not sure who you are inside and you have you don't have those pillars to lean on you're just going to get up and and flee right 
Now we'll get into that because we talked about this as well. A lot of people listening are probably just like, so what you're saying is no matter what happens, I just never leave. Like, what about, you know, abusive situations and other things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we're going to talk about that later. But the point is, we always hope about things. We hope that our marriages work out. We hope that we find fulfillment. We hope our children will turn out okay. Uh, we hope we can keep a decent job, right? Hoping is is good. Never lose hope. Like hope is very, very, very powerful in having it. But then we always talk about you need to have guided action aligned with the hope and what you're doing in order to get there. Because it's not just going to happen by itself. You're going to have to break down barriers, go through some really tough shit in uh, conversations, as, as Raf said, in order to get where you want to go. And a real man ultimately brings certainty to his world by the power of his promise, right? And I feel like that's such a cover thing just to hurry up and get get what I want. You know, like, oh, hey, can I have this? Yeah, but you have to do this first. Oh, yeah, okay, I promise. You know, it, it's always something like super quick of just like, oh, that's all I have to say. I just have to say a word and then you'll give it to me. Okay, cool. And, and no, man, that, that promise is so, it, it, it's who you are. It's who you're supposed to be. That word promise holds weight. Can you imagine telling your kids like, I'm never going to leave you. I promise. And then you get up and leave. Like, what did you just do to that kid? Mm. Like, I, I, it's, I don't have children, but I, I couldn't imagine doing that, you know, and is it a lie? Is it true? I don't know, man, because ultimately we're all, we all return to dust. And, you know, I, I remember sitting there with my dad on, on his deathbed, basically making peace with him before he died and apologizing for a lot of the stuff that we said or did in the year prior. And, uh, you know, I remember looking at him and I was like, dad, you promised we'd go out West and go on an elk hunt together. And he just kind of looked at me and, and grinned and he kind of teared up and he's like, I know I promised you and I'm sorry. And that I'll never forget that, you know, until this day, I still want to go out West backpacking and go into the mountains and elk hunt and court, you know, drawing quarter them out there and hike, hike them out. And in some way, shape or form, I feel like my dad will be with me when mm -hmm. I finally get to do that and keep that promise that, that I kept to him, you know, and that's uh it's a long time. So uh, it's stuff like that that's going to affect you and that, you know, your kids are never going to forget. Uh, your your spouse is never going to forget. Go, go ahead, Melon. All really uh, very powerful stuff. And thanks for sharing that, especially about your dad, because I know that that stuff is a very big deal. And you're talking about your own father in his last days. I think a lot of the stuff underneath um, staying power and the ability to deliver we think about it in these big times or in the, in the, you know, in, in the stuff that's sort of life or death, the really important times, but you're not going to have developed the muscle to be able to deliver and have that staying power. If you're loose with your word and the small things. And so you're going to, you're only going to build that strength and ability to trust yourself when you commit your word well, having it as just a routine part of your your life. And there's no way that you're going to be able to deliver in all the things you need to deliver in a family situation as a 
as a father with children, with finances, with the marriage, all of that stuff. If you're flipping and you blow your word away on little stuff, it's just never going to stack up. It's never going to be that, that you, you, you're going to be living in a house of cards. And it's not going to take something big to bring that down. You're going to be someone who breaks and falls in, in really small ways. So for me, it's got a lot to do. Living up to that statement of a man's word is his bond is that inner integrity that you keep your word to yourself first so that you know when you commit that you're gonna, it's going to be done. Like you actually can build up over time the ability to trust yourself when you commit to things in the future because you can point to real things that you have delivered in the past in a similar situation or in time of challenge where you go, this thing is sorted and I don't need to toss and turn at night because I know I will deliver because I have a track record of doing that. And so that is respecting your own word, being true to yourself so that you can trust yourself over time. And that means doing what you said when you said you'd do it, you know, and in, inevitably life will occur and stuff will happen. And you're in that position of being able to own the breakdown, the non-delivery on time or the, you know, you, you got it done but late or you didn't get it done where you're the one who's talking about it. You're not relying on the other person to bring up, hey, you said you do X and you haven't done it. In a professional setting, you're letting people know ideally ahead of time, the same in family and personal relationships where you're either doing what you said when you said you'd do it by or you're the one owning it beforehand. You're letting people know, hey, that commitment I made, I'm not going to make it for these very good reasons. I get the impact on you and I'm now committing to this new thing. Like I can't take you out to dinner this weekend because of all this stuff that's happened at work, but I'm recommitting to this new date night that we're going to have the following week. Stuff like that. So the integrity that's going to underpin any kind of staying power, you have to build it up in the small things and you have to respect yourself and respect your own work so that you can deliver it over time. Raph, you had your hand up earlier. You wanted to jump in with something? Oh, I was just going to talk about, because uh, we talked about the implications, obviously, when uh, the father leaves the family. Um, and we talked about, you know, how it leads to, you know, for women, it's pretty catastrophic equally for men. Um, but I was going to say, because um, he, he kind of touches on this in the book where he says, uh, you know, since the, 1990, since the 1920s, sorry, there's been a, uh, an increase of over 1,400%. That's 1,400 in the rate of divorce. And right now, uh, from the 2000s to what we currently have, we've been averaging between high six to almost a million divorces a year. So if you imagine, and I'm just like, I'm not assuming that every marriage has a kid or children, but let's just say that every, every marriage does have at least one child. That's a million kids that will grow up in a divorced home every year just added to the pool. It's, it's a pretty devastating number if you think about it, you know, especially going back to my whole thing about equity. Like there's, there's no better equity than having both parents in the home. Well, what are some of those contributing factors that as the years go by, why do people feel it's okay to leave? And and I believe Raph already said it, it's comforts. You know, it's well, it, we've norm we've normalized it. Yeah. Divorce is normal. As a matter of fact, in the 90s, there was a there was a famous psychologist who basically said 
or maybe it was early 2000s, but they she basically said that that generation of kids, so the, not the Gen Xers, but the ones that immediately followed, uh, or maybe she was referring to Gen Xers, but she was basically saying like that was the first generation where, where divorce, the idea of divorce in kids was normal. It was like, it was just parlance of the time. Like it was just normal. It wasn't, it wasn't taboo to come from a divorce tone. It was like, oh yeah, your, your, your parents are split. Like it wasn't even a conversation piece. Right. It was just like, oh yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's devastating our society and it's obvious. Right. Well, I, I think it's just the, like you said, it, it's a common thing and it's, it, there's literally things built now in society to facilitate it. And, you know, the idea that like, well, I don't need to put up with this. I can just simply run for the fact that, you know, I could have 20 other women at the touch of uh, my fingertips, you know, that are all like coming across and that are just like, oh, yeah, you know, everything's perfect. They love me. You know, everything's good with no struggle. And it's just, yeah, yeah, I could just leave this. I don't deserve this. I'm jumping over here. And then you get there and it's it's it may be what you think. It may not be what you think. And then you're just like completely lost on everything. It's like, this is what it was supposed to be. You lied to me. And then it's just like, well, I already left my marriage and now I'm just here by myself. And it's like, okay, now, now what do I do? You, you know, and the, the options and the, the path to take it on the, I don't know, I want to say the easy route or appear to be easy route. There's so many more of those than it is just staying on that hard route of like, Hey, I know what's right. I know what I'm supposed to do. Um, these are the values that this is the promises I made. I need to keep on this path and keep going and and work through it. Because ultimately, you know, it's 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 literally like how what somebody say that one time? It was something about like laying concrete, right? And it was like, yeah, concrete, it's messy, it's heavy, whatever, but if you pour it right, you're gonna have one hell of a foundation and your building's never gonna fall. I was like, damn, I think that was my, my brother that said that. Cause he lays concrete. I think it was him that said <laughs> something like that, but I was like, okay, all right. I, I like that, you know, but it, <laughs> it's, it's true. And uh, yeah, man, it, it, like I said, instantly, when I start reading this, like I'm going back through, through, through my life and sitting there thinking about things. It's like, did I run, did I run too soon? Did, did I not keep my promise? Did I fail at this? What was I aligned with? What was I trying to follow? What was I trying to achieve? Uh, was it more about myself or was it more about the other person? Was it about the relationship? Was it about God? Was it about, you know, go down the list, man. And I, I fell short. And we, I think we all have. Yeah. And, and we're all trying to you know, that feels good to say, and I'm not sitting here as my own little therapy session, but honestly, we always talk when we have these conversations every week, I feel better after we discuss mm. these things because we make time for it. And it's like a time to just let it, let this shit out instead of carrying it. And, um, it's, it, it's very powerful to me to talk about, but you know, it, it's, it's hard to stay. It's just hard whether it's what yes. whether it's health you know maybe i'm beat up maybe i'm just exhausted after being on the road for weeks and months at a time or i i don't know so many things but it's just it's so tough man and you get tired and just beat this sh like beat down and 
exhausted and then you keep talking about it or try to talk about it and then people are just annoyed with you in a way because they're humans too and they're like dude shut up i know like i don't want to hear the same thing over and over so then you just like shut up and lock it up and then you tell everybody yeah i'm fine i'm fine but inside you're not fine and you're just trying to grind through the day and it's like man what am i doing is this even worth it you know, and all these doubts and stuff start creeping into your head, man. It's just, it's a hard time, but I don't know. I, I would say if you guys want to just kind of transition to the side that we were talking about is like, when in any circumstances, would you say that it's okay to walk away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? 100%. So here's, here's the thing. We're talking about Delivering on your commitments, the things that you said you'd do. You know, I will make the mortgage payments. I will go to work in the morning. I'll pay my taxes. I'll get food and provide for my family. I'll love my wife. I'll take you out and we'll have fun together. And whatever those commitments are, big and small, formal and informal, spoken and implied, you don't need to tell your kids that you're going to feed them. Like that's your freaking, that responsibility is implied. Do you know what I mean? That, that commitments are already exist in the world. Where we're talking about possibly like ending a relationship that you're committed to, and you can think about this in a work in a work way. So we, we were talking a bit offline before we started. Maybe there's a, a person, a co-worker. It could be a partner. It could be a romantic relationship who has a substance abuse problem. And you're like, no, 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 I've hired this person. And they could be, say, in an industry like the SF community or an aviation, where clearly they are now putting the lives of other people at risk. This is a decision they've made, and there are consequences to those actions that they're going to have to live with. And the commitment you've made to hire them does not mean that you now have to turn a blind eye to new inputs and new information that's coming in. Like another one of the things you're supposed to have is wisdom and the ability to reflect and judge and have decisions. And so if you've got a, say, romantic partner, so in that example, the, um, you know, like a coworker on an airline who's got an irresponsible consumption of substances, they can't be around aircraft, it's super clear. And that, that, that decision they've made, they have consequences that they'll live, they'll live with. If you've got a partner who's abusive or is belittling or is making someone feel bad, they're not delivering on their commitments that they made. And so there's going to be a point at which you're able to make a fresh decision. You're not like, well, I'm in this forever and I'll just suffer. There are times when you're able to take in new information and almost go through like a renegotiation, like a contract renegotiation, where you can say, I need to have these needs met. And if you choose not to meet them, then that choice of yours will now have consequences. You know, a wife doesn't have to stay in a home where the husband's beating her just because she said she would. You know, this guy's behaviour under any reasonable person test would be shown to be he's broken his commitments. You don't have to stay. Like, you're absolved of that decision. You don't have to keep the children in that situation. Like, there's responsibilities that you have to yourself and other people when someone has transgressed or broken their commitments that the consequences is on them. And then having that wisdom to be able to discern, you know, is this something, am I kidding, giving up too early? Or is this 
something that really is their responsibility, that's the one where it's going to be difficult and you want to have a good, strong support network around you and people you can talk to or time to reflect and judge so you can make a decision that's appropriate. But we're not saying, and Stu Weber is not saying, that the abused wife must stay in the relationship or that the airline must employ the drunk pilot because ongoing actions and ongoing failures on other person's behalf also has consequences. And it, it can be a difficult part of it that also plays in. Did you have comments on that that you wanted to add there at all, Rath? No, actually, I think it's a good way to wrap it up because we talked about staying, but I think it's good to also give, I don't want to call them loopholes, but, you know, if there ever is a reason, like you said, to not stay, it's when someone breaks their commitment, but not just any commitment, like something egregious as abuse, as whether it's psychological or, or physical. Um, yeah, like, every, you know, every relationship, they like to say it's 50-50. Sometimes it, it, as a married man, you know what I'm talking about, man, or anybody in relationship, really, it's not always 50-50. Sometimes you have to put in 98% of the work, you know, but it's a give and take, right? If you're consistently the person that does the 98%, then eventually you're going to be like, dude, I'm tapping out. Like, if you're not going to commit to anything, I'm out of here. Um, but no, I think you you articulated that pretty well. Did you have anything else you wanted to add there, Mike, just around that? You know, like I'm also, when people say 50-50 in a relationship, that's normally a divorce with a 50-50 <laughs> division of, that, of assets, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I really yeah. think in the relationships that work, you're all you're all in. You're both all in all the time. And when someone's not all in, that's when you're having these discussions in a, hopefully a mature and healthy way where you're able to say, these commitments are not being met on your side. Please be clear, you know, let me know if I'm not meeting mine. Let's recommit, renegotiate, and try and make this thing work. But if someone's not delivering on a commitment they've made, I think that the consequences have to be reserved that you can at some point exit. Was there other points you wanted to make here, Mike? No, I, I think uh, I think you nailed it because you know it's it's just it's not easy. Like just don't try to sugarcoat it or anything. It, it's just not easy and it sucks and it's painful because you know, like we talk about hope. You, you hope things work out. You hope this goes the right way. You hope, you hope, you hope. But you're, what you really have to pay attention to is the action and what's happening around you. You know, like praying is good. Like I always tell people, like the power of prayer is very, very powerful. Um, but there also has to be decisive actions that need to be taken and then measure off of those actions and what you're doing, where you're applying your energy. And if, if you can look at those and step back and go, okay, this is what was promised. This is what we hoped for, but this is what is, and this is where we're at. Mm -hmm. And if you feel that on either side, and you have to take accountability for your own stuff as well, if you feel that the commitments on both sides are not being uh, upheld, then then you have a decision to, to to make either like Raph said is, Hey, I mean, if you're in a marriage, I mean, you're, it's a lot deeper. Right. And, and for me, I'm like, I'm not married, but if you're in a marriage versus just dating someone, you know, I, I think that's a little bit different, you know, and because you didn't stand before God and make us an oath to him till death to his part and everything like that. Like I do, I do feel that that is different when you're standing up there making a commitment in front of family, friends, 
God and everybody and you're saying, hey, we're in this till the end kind of thing. But, uh, man, it's just uh, you got to make some decisions and be like, okay, am I putting in all the effort like Raf says, like the 98% all the time? And, and and be honest with yourself. It's like, hey, I know for like this period, I'm going to have to put in the 98% because maybe they're sick. Maybe they're maybe they're mm-hmm. tapped out and they can't put in the effort that they want because of, you know, whatever. But then looking at the other way, it's just like, am I always doing the work? And they're just like staying who they are or don't want to change or don't put in the effort to change. And it's like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, man. But that brings so much anxiety and worry that I think you start unbecoming yourself because you're so worried. And then it's like dancing on eggshells of like, I don't want to bring this up because I don't want to, I already know things are fragile. So I don't really want to bring it up because then it, it might really just create such a a, a fissure in, in our relationship or in this spot that it's unrecoverable. So it's like, I still want this, but it's like, I know it's sensitive and it's like, Hey, are you putting in the effort and then boom, you know, and then it blows up or something. You're like, Oh shit, man. I, I'm just trying to make this work. I'm just trying to be better. And I'm sorry. I got to ask the hard question, but I'm exhausted. You know, it feels like I'm carrying the log sometimes or vice versa. Uh, yeah, man, it's just, it, it's not going to be comfortable, but if it's something that you, you really want, both sides have to take accountability of what you're really, really doing. Be honest, even if it hurts and mm-hmm. make that assessment of like, we either stop, redo this uh, understanding, communicate this, this, this contract, if you will, or uh, just say, Hey, you know what? We're, we don't align and I don't want to change. You don't want to change. I don't have to hate you for it. Maybe it's just better that, uh, you know, we're, we're not in each other's lives or we're separate, you know, and we can still make it work. And then for people with children, you know, it's just like, well, hey, maybe we don't work, but we need to work for, for the child. Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and you, you, that's the right thing to do is is to, you know, hey, just because we didn't work out doesn't mean like the, the parents can't still uphold their promise to their children. And be like, hey, I'm I'm still going to be mom. I'm still going to be dad. I'm still going to be there for you no matter what happens. Even if I can't be physically be with this person anymore because of whatever, uh, I'm never going to leave you. And I just want to applaud the people out there that are doing that because that's not easy. And that's the hard route versus just cutting someone off and bad mouthing a parent and X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, But the people are out there that are grinding. I commend them for doing the hard. That could be like the ultimate example of staying power, you know, delivering the commitment to the children and making the co-parenting work as the highest or ultimate responsibility a parent has, even that will endure after the relationship uh, with the mother or the, you know, the, the parents. And there was just a, on closing here, there was a point that, Stu Weber says that understanding that the heart of staying power is sacrifice, which is giving oneself up for the good of another, that that's where the energy is going to come from. When you're clear around what the benefit it is to that other person, when you're getting up in the morning and putting your work clothes on and getting out the door and you're delivering any commitment there and providing resources for the kids and the family or 
you know, the, the mum loving the children and looking after them when they've hurt their knee and that nurturing, all, all of that stuff that the, the short-term sacrifice is for someone else. Terry's grandfather had a, he had a, a really beautiful structure where he said, pain will always get to a point that it can exceed someone's ability to bear it. But pain plus love equals sacrifice. And when you've got that clarity around why you're bearing this load, you can continue to carry. And his example was JC carrying the crucifix across up the hill, you know. So sacrifice is the key to give the energy for the staying power to deliver on the commitments you've made. They're your commitments. They're not anyone else's. And uh, yeah, it's about a relationship to your word and a man's word is his bond. Were there any final thoughts you guys wanted to leave here when we were just in the wind-up stage? Raf, did you have anything else? No, I um, I think this is just a real shout-out to – or this is a real call for all men to kind of step up and be men and then for women to choose choose men, right? Don't Don't choose a boy. Choose a man. And your life will be astronomically better. Like just, you know, order the magnitude well above – you, what you could imagine but i think it all revolves around all the stuff we talked about commitment and staying power and you know just uh people that are willing to sacrifice to to believe in the purpose that they believe in so whatever it is for 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 those for that couple fantastic man how about you mark have you got anything further you wanted to add there i know you dropped a lot of really great stuff in yeah challenges as usual uh I, re I really like doing it because i i literally think about it and i'm going to do it myself uh i never i'm the type of guy i'd never ask you to do something if i wasn't willing to do it myself right uh and that's part of like how i've understood about being a leader in, in different things right in my life one of those pillars uh think about the people and the men in particular in your life uh describe who they are and what they do and do they define staying power or are they more demonstrating uh you know kind of the uh floating through life and just cutting when things get hard right if if you do have those people in your life i would i would suggest having that conversation with them or maybe even uh giving them some guidance and how how you feel how you view them and maybe they can go off and work on themselves but um for me personally, I don't want to have people in my life who run at the first sign of, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> hard times. And then, um, you know, in that uh, story of Job, if the disasters that hit Job were to happen to you, uh, how do you think you would deal with it? Where would your mind go? What would you do? What would happen if you lost your house? What would happen if you lost your car? or your donkey, <laughs> uh, what would happen if, uh, your, your wife fell sick and, or passed away or your children, if everything that you had, whether it be, uh, material wise or status wise, uh, what would you do? Who would you become? Where would you go? Who would you ask for help? Uh, how would you realign yourself? really sit down, maybe write those down, think about some things and be like, man, who would I be in my, in those worst moments and ask yourself if you can handle it. And if the answer is no, which let's be honest, a lot of us would probably say, yeah, I don't know if I can handle that right now. 
but your goal and what we've talked about for a long time on these uh, on these episodes in this journey the last couple of years is pushing back against that idea that I you know I just can't handle anything. It's just like no, you can. There the the tools, the messages, the people are out there to help you build, and we should be aiming for to to be able to be who we want to be on our worst day. You know, we we said the quote out there. You know, be the man that you envision yourself being the day of your father's funeral. Be the strongest person in the room, mm-hmm. right? That's who you should be aiming to be for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, for your kids, for your best friends, uh, all of it. And just just be honest with yourself and maybe sit down and write down those. And, and then you might surprise yourself, you might not, but start developing a plan on what you can do to get better. Right. And if anyone ever wants to talk, you can always drop us a line. You can drop us in a review and uh, we'll leave that email and so on in the uh, in the show notes. So Stu Weber, Tender Warrior, Chapter 4, Staying Power. Uh, shout out to Stu for writing such a visionary book for us with a lot of wisdom in it. And until next week, take care. <laughs>